You're listening to a Crossroads original podcast. I think that God's idea of what actually purpose is, you know, and and what matters to him and who to him is living a purposeful life that probably looks quite different from our idea of, mm-hmm. of what that looks like. From Crossroads Media, this is See Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks, season eight, episode number 42. Well, welcome back, friends, to See, Here Love and to our second episode of our four-part, very special SOS Summer of Strength series, where we'll be featuring four outstanding women who embody courage and faith, resilience, and expertise in leadership, health and well-being, soul care, and journeying through grief and loss. And our hope is that our stories and our conversations will strengthen, encourage, and inspire you, our listeners, to live authentically, to live courageously, to live a life of joy and possibility and to deeply love God and others. And today, we have a very special guest that I have been dying to finally come face-to-face with and talk with and listen (laughs) to and learn from, Dr. Susan Bialy-Haas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) So good to have you here. (laughs) Melinda, I'm just so excited to be here. It's been been years, and finally, finally. It's still not in person, but I know. here we are. True. I'm just going to do a little gush for our listeners and viewers to get to know you a little bit more, Dr. Susan. But Dr. Susan is an award-winning medical doctor, health and wellness expert, coach, speaker, and author. She helps people worldwide to reduce stress, prevent burnout, improve mental health, and live with increased wellness and resilience. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, With over two decades spent studying wellness and resiliency, 20 years of clinical experience with thousands of patients, and more than 10 years coaching high-performance clients worldwide. Dr. Susan expertly applies her experience and skills to equip people to live better lives. And she's been featured, this is amazing, on the Today Show, Today with Hoda and Jenna, the Marilyn Dennis Show, and and her opinions have appeared in Oprah.com, Forbes, the Chicago Tribune, Martha Stewart Living, People, InStyle, Elf, (laughs) Washington Post, the New York Post, and the Globe and Mail. (laughs) And Dr. Susan Bialyha's best-selling latest book, which we're going to be talking about the Resilient Life was released in fall of 2022. Welcome to See Here Love, Dr. Susan, again. And I'm glad. Here we are. Uh, you know, we have a mutual person. I mean, we have a number of friends that are mutual, but I have known your sister, Lila, for so many years, since my 20s. Wow. I've known her. And she's amazing. Like, what an amazing, yeah. like, family. I'm like, you and your sister are just like powerhouses um, <laughs> in different fields, which is really incredible. But yeah, I've known Lila for, I love Lila. She's been on the show and uh, it's so, it's so great to now have you. Yeah. Here. I was telling her this morning, we're, we're in touch basically almost all day, every day. <laughs> so to my favorite people on the planet. And it is so interesting how we're both, we seem what well, we are called to these very public lives, but in very different spheres with her being in the music world and me being more in health and wellness leadership, that sphere. It's really great, though, because we're not even remotely in any kind of competition, yet we have so many of the same challenges and experiences. So we really support each other in what we do mm-hmm. and are each other's biggest fans. So it's, it's what a gift. I know it is. It's really amazing. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled because, again, with mutual friends and, you know, women across Canada, you hear of these incredible women. You're always like, oh, I hope one day I get to meet them. And it's kind of like, you know, we've, we've tried and then it, it didn't work. And now here we are. And so um, I'm, I'm really excited to learn from you, especially, Dr. Susan, because this series is called Summer of Strength. And we really want to give our listeners and viewers practical tools to help them live a resilient life. And, and I know we're going to get to that. But right at the top, I have this question I've been wanting to ask you. And it's been coming up a lot with my friends, uh, in my family, even with myself as I process. And so I, I, want, I just want your thoughts because it seems to me that we're out of the pandemic. There's a lot to unpack here, but there sure. are days that I feel like it didn't even happen. And then there are days I feel the trauma and grief and the change of of what had happened. And so many people and I, as we're talking over dinner parties or we're hanging out, it's like, 
I don't even know how to process this in a healthy way. I don't even know where it fe- feels like it didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, Dr. Susan, we're back to normal. Like, we just keep, we've, we've just kind of jumped back in. We're doing the same things. There's lots of traffic on the highways and we're going back to work like nothing happened. How do we, pro- it's, it's, I know, this is a whole show. <laughs> but how do we, how do we process this? As I'm thinking about resilient life, how do we process yeah. this? Because it's been really difficult. And I found the past year or so have been really hard as I've been kind of oscillating back and forth with these emotions. Yeah. I think that's a fairly universal experience. Okay. And it's it's very hard for us as humans to really be able to register the impact of what has happened because we've all been changed. All of us have been changed and we all we all are carrying in some way the trauma of what happened. And it's this combination of well, the tr- actual traumatic things that happened as a result of that experience or the, the collective trauma of that experience and the individual trauma of that experience. And then also th- new ways of viewing things mm-hmm. where maybe like, you know, there were conflicts that came up because of the pandemic that caused us to view relationships and even institutions differently. And but then we've all, we also were snapped out of a kind of sleep, many of us mm-hmm. too, in terms of not taking things for granted anymore and a reordering of our priorities for many of us our lives took completely new directions like as a result of the pandemic and my husband having a catastrophic accident during the pandemic I am now in this mental health education burnout prevention space full time which was something I'd worked towards for 20 years and so my dream came true but as a result of of this incredible uptick in mental health needs and so it's like great mm-hmm. yet terrible at the same time and I think many right, of us had those exactly experiences it. yeah yeah and so I think in terms of like the resilient life and that you know I came up for the the proposal for the with the proposal for that book pre-pandemic which was very fortuitous really and that it was almost mm-hmm. like I would I don't know I'd say, I'd say prophetic but it was the timing of it was quite uncanny and it predated the pandemic just by months and I feel like it's a framework because I've always, since I started this journey of wanting to help people on a large scale, I've always approached it from you know, the whole perspective of a whole human and what are the primary components that make for a truly fulfilling, healthy, maximally impactful, satisfying life. And so I think re-anchoring to those different areas, which I know you're planning to talk about, which the book is mm-hmm. based on, that if we reconnect to what's most important and and reorient our goals and even how we spend our time to those main areas, I think it really will help us to kind of reorient our ships in the direction that we want to go and, you know, bringing with us everything that we have learned and experienced, but also moving forward in strength Mm. and well-being and and clarity and purpose. And that will help a lot, I think. Yeah, so this is a real issue, is yeah. what you're saying. Because I feel oh, like yes. sometimes, okay, because I, I just, maybe I just wanted affirmation. Because there are moments I'm like, there were times where I was choosing not to be in relations with people based on decisions. And now we're back and we're all in the same restaurants in huge, you know, the Rogers Center and not even masked, and no one's caring about how we are. Like, but two years ago, we were. You know, like, I mean, it just it just feels like we went from this extreme to this other extreme, to back to normal, but is it normal? And, and so there's all of these emotions, and, and you know, I think for content creators, we never stopped. Like, our work actually, yeah. you know, escalated. Yes, it did. And so there's a part of it where maybe I feel exhausted, and people are feeling uh-huh. exhausted, and we're still having to keep going. Like yeah. it's like oh yeah right oh yeah that's how I feel all the time and many of us even even just our nervous systems and our adrenal glands like we've in some way we've been not maybe not in acute fight or flight but there especially for those of us like you said those of us who have played a role in trying to help people keep their heads above water through all of this and and speak into people's lives and help them navigate all of this, like those were our roles, that we have had to keep going mm-hmm. in a way 
that required our, our, our fight or flight systems in our bodies and our minds, where we had to basically, it's almost like fighting a war going through mud or something like the amount yeah. of fortitude and determination, also spiritual strength. Right. That's a good way to say it. Maybe that's, that's what it is. It feels like, I, I guess that's it, Dr. Susan. It's like, we know it, but I don't have the words for it because I've never gone through this and experienced it. Mm-hmm. So we're comparing mm-hmm. things that we, we, we know of, but really in my lifetime, I'm like, I don't, no, in any case, I've experienced where things were shut down and we had to be separate from people that we love because of choices that we made, uh, work being shut down, just everything that we had to do, and then the polarization and the conflict that arose. Yeah, that was uh, the hardest for me. That really, right? I personal, still haven't recovered from it. Yeah, personal fa- and families, and then all of the vitriol and everything that mm-hmm. was happening online. Like, it just, it was so much. And then you come out of it now. And when I say come out of it, it's like that. But I think we're still like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? You know? Yeah. So I I think that this resilient life as we go through this is going to really help give some insight in this as we kind of go, okay, it happened. And now how do we move forward uh, in that? And so thank you for acknowledging it. I think it's just this affirmation that, you know, we're not alone. So for our listeners and viewers who are listening, many have felt this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're a little bit more isolated. So just to be able to speak and say, no, everybody is tired. Everybody <laughs> is feeling this. Then yeah. you don't feel like you're on your own on this, right? Yeah, like we're absolutely. all trying to figure it out. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily even, I mean, there is probably some physical fatigue, but it seems to be primarily cognitive and emotional, I would say, like mm-hmm. that that's where we're that's where we're carrying it, like in our hearts, our spirits, yeah. in our brains. Well, I know that we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we talk about um, your part ones and to six, part one to six in your book. But if... I want to ask this because I just read this, that you had to overcome your own burnout and depression at sure. the beginning of your medical career. So when people look at you, as they look at me and they're like, oh, look at them. <laughs> you know, high level, able, communicating, look at their life. You know, I don't see any burnout depression for them. But here you are, you, you've overcome it. And I'd love to hear just a little bit about that, like what you believe caused it. And then how did you overcome your depression and burnout? Because I know there's a lot of people, and, and even in my own life now, that are really struggling with depression and also are seeing signs that they could be going toward burnout. And so love to hear your thoughts and and learn from your own story. Yeah, it's a story that has driven the majority of my adult life now. And it has has changed me. I wouldn't say that my story so much is that this this one isolated terrible thing happened in my 20s and and then I overcame it and now everything's mm-hmm. perfect like it right. that's actually not even that realistic when it comes to mental health so what happened fundamentally was that I I was in a, a very intense very competitive emergency medicine residency training program as part of my medical training and I I tell the story of one very dark night yeah, and I, I share the story all the time. I speak to a lot to different organizations about mental health. And and I was a couple of years into my residency. I had just finished a 36-hour shift in the cardiac care unit of the ER with mm-hmm. zero sleep. And the, obviously that came up on the back of many of those shifts. It wasn't just an <laughs> isolated thing. That was just how we, how we worked. And um, I, I went home to my dark, lonely little apartment. Uh, my life was just basically work- uh, nothing else. The, the The schedule itself really didn't allow for anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't even turn the lights on. I just lay on the floor and I started to contemplate quitting the ER and then quitting medicine entirely, even though I was 11 years into my training at that point. And then, and then started to feel like ending my life quite, quite seriously. I was thinking about it and I had been, I had been diagnosed with depression at the time by my doctor, it was just a very short visit. 
um, you know, she's a, she's a lovely person. So I always feel bad telling this part of the story, but but I had been put on antidepressants, which I as a physician have seen be super helpful to people. So there's mm-hmm. definitely a place for that. But I never got any counseling. The root causes were never addressed. There was actually so much going on with me at the time. And even though I had psychiatric training as part of my preparation as a physician, uh, we weren't taught at all about burnout. And I'd say most doctors mm-hmm. still put, couldn't tell you the three primary criteria for burnout. It wasn't until years later that I realized that severe burnout for sure was part of the picture. And also, I was having trauma-related symptoms from things that I had witnessed in the front lines, uh, ways that I had been treated, never gotten any debriefings, like no support at all. We were just expected, we were just thrown in. The, people liken it often to the military, just thrown in, expected to function. Actually, in the military, they probably get a bit more training in terms of how to deal <laughs> with things, or maybe, maybe not. But but yeah, that, and so um, the incredible thing was, as I lay there on the floor having those extremely dark, scary thoughts, I got a phone call from one of the very few other women in the program who was my chief resident. And she'd noticed they had actually lost another female resident to suicide a few Mm. years prior. And so she was watching us very closely and she called me. She'd never phoned me before. I, and I didn't, I was not Christian at that time. I had grown up in the church and I don't think I went on this faith journey after that all happened, but I basically, I was basically an atheist at that point. But I know that that was God because it was so uncanny lying there in the dark, thinking about the pills in my cabinet. And then the phone rings and my life changed forever from that call. And so so she asked me how I was. She wanted to check in. I lied to her because I had a reputation to protect. But eventually she got me to admit what was happening. And she told me to take a stress leave. And she gave me some homework for that stress leave to reflect on my life and I came back, resigned from my residency, got my license to practice medicine in the community, which I did for 20 years. I'm still licensed, but I'm not doing I'm not doing clinical medicine anymore for the last couple of years. And I embarked on this this passion journey, which I think is really why I'm here on this planet, Mm -hmm. which was to learn everything that I could about whole person mental health and resilience. First of all, because I didn't I, I wanted to understand what had happened to me. And I even though I had medical training, I didn't I didn't have enough understanding of of human psychology and mental health and burnout and all of that. So I wanted to learn all that for myself. But the more that I learned, the more that I wanted to make my entire life's mission to help educate as many people as I could worldwide so that they wouldn't experience what I had experienced. Wow. You know, it's interesting because I, I, you know, when I was 30, I burnt out and I was like high level job doing this, you know, serving the poor and working at a big NGO, not-for-profit organization, and burnt out, took a stress leave, and was really depressed for eight months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, what was interesting, as you were saying that, Dr. Susan, it's like there was homework, and then I I kind of found my, my therapist was like, what do you want for your life? Which was very hopeful because I was like, look at my life. I'm I'm pathetic. And as I wrote it down, it kind of gave me a sense of, oh, purpose and passion that kind of clicked. And, you know, I've shared my story a lot. And and then I got a phone call from a mentor of mine who basically said, God woke me up at 2 a.m. to to call you to hire you. And I didn't want to because you're depressed and you've never worked (laughs) in media. I'm not even joking. But I need I need to hire you, and and I and I argued at God because how why would I hire someone who has no has no media training has no anything broadcast yeah. TV training and yeah. I know you're depressed and she goes so I argued with God it's two a.m. arguing I'm arguing and finally he's just like you need to do it so I'm calling oh. you Mel on the phone right now to tell you I want you to be a chase producer guesting producer I want you to do this. I want you to start tomorrow. You're going to become part-time contract. That's how my life started in media. I have no training, Dr. Susan. I have zero formal <laughs> educational training in the work that I do, and I've been doing this now for over like 20, like 20 years. Yeah, so it's so such it's, a similar story. Like, right? I was saying this, but it was like, what? <laughs> like it's, Yeah. And, and so I just sort of said, okay, I'll follow I'll follow this guy. For me, you know, it was like, I'll follow this. And uh, it's scary and terrifying, but I'm going to do it. And here I am. And yeah. so it was It was hard, though. It was, it was 
brutal to go through depression in the way that it this was. Is, um, but had some good therapy, had a good community, you know, had had a lot of good support. And I am here today because of that. A lot yeah. of that, you know. Yeah, me too. So that's amazing. That's actually encouraging. So I think for people that are listening, it's like all of these factors um, helped us. And those are factors that I hope, you know, the people that are listening and watching will have as well. Or for people who are like, I think my friend is depressed, how we can support, how we can, you know, them through this. So so you you came out of it. So how long would you say, like, do you believe, like, are you have cyclical depression or do you feel like it was more like a situational circumstantial one because you're overwhelmed by all that was going on or what's your journey been like in that area oh that's a it's a very complicated question I'll do my best to answer it so so I had had I I write in the book I don't go into a lot of detail but around the time that I began medical school. So the first year of medical school, I had some very traumatic personal experiences um, that that I don't I don't share actually what happened. Yeah. I'm not ready to at this point in my life. Yeah. But yeah. but that that was extremely difficult, and I still managed to be the top top student in my class that year, despite everything that happened to me. And I think in a way that's even a problem, like that mm. ability. Yeah. Like I did get I did get proper support um, through what I was going through, but. There was a kind of just keeping going and pushing that was just such a part of my makeup and how I had been brought up as well. Mm -hmm. And so those, I'd say, were the first real glimmers of trouble. And that was because of traumatic things that had happened. And I had never gotten any kind of trauma therapy around it, but I had gotten counseling. And so there was already that foundation where there had been some damage, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then... When I got into the fourth level, the fourth year of med school, like I had continued to be perform at a very high level and get awards for top medical woman in the class, I think the whole way through. But then when it started going to the clinical shifts where we were starting to get the real sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. that that is why I feel like my brain just started to get tipped over, which which would happen to most people. Like we know from studies that when medical students start medical school and have their mental health assessed, they are more mentally healthy, significantly more mentally healthy than the general population. So we start off with really strong resilience and mental health as a group, physicians. Mm -hmm. But by the time, I think it's even after the first year that our mental health starts dipping significantly below that of the general population. Because wow. of the nature of the of the training and the pressure mm-hmm. and the sleep deprivation, all those things. So, for sure, my the medical training and all of the stress and sleep deprivation and just insanity of it all uh, pushed my brain over into that zone. And I did take so I it and it continued to be a problem until I like second year re- residency when I was doing when it was just two years now of these just crazy on-call schedules and all anyway we don't have like two hours to talk about all Mm. of the different components but but by that point I really reached the end of myself like the end of my ability because so far I had continued to be a very high performer had gotten into one of the most competitive residencies in the whole country and Mm. almost no women were in this field and so I had kept going like despite Mm. it all but then I just hit a wall and I hit it hard two years in. And so I took that stress leave. I got my my license to practice medicine. Um, I had gone during my stress leave, I'd gone on a trip to Cuba because my my boss, the, the, the chief resident had given me this homework as well to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and who I actually was, et cetera, during my stress mm-hmm. leave. And so I saw, I saw these salsa dancers performing in Cuba. Cuba and yeah. I remembered that I'd been obsessed with dance as a little girl, but never really got to take ballet and all those things and I'd actually wanted to be a solid gold dancer but I don't know if I can oh, even should say that on a Christian gold. show da, yeah yeah da, 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 oh, yeah. Da. yeah don't google it people just don't I know I love solid gold <laughs> um it was in Marilyn McCoo <laughs> Marilyn McCoo was that the don't, I, think she I was... don't know I was little I have no idea okay <laughs> sorry I was because I, really I think young, I think but... I met her down here a number of years ago I don't uh, know the that host it was of... was it Mar- uh, no 
I, I don't was more know. interested anyway. in the dancers, but like Dancing. I said, don't Google it, people. Okay. Um, and, but... and I love Cuba, too. I've been to Cuba like nine yes. times, and, and I so... love it and the dancing. Yes, and so I had this like this kind of awakening where I remembered that I used to be obsessed with dads as a little girl, and then I also wrote in this journal that I'd brought that I wanted to be a writer, which I thought was really strange because I'd avoided arts classes like the plague because you couldn't control you can get 100% in them, right? Because they're subjective. So anyway, right. so I had these two pieces, the writing and the dancing. And I came back and a, a huge part of my healing and recovery of myself as a, as a whole person was that connection with dance. Like I became a mm. professional salsa and flamenco dancer, had my own dance company in Mexico. Really? Yeah, while practicing medicine. Yeah, it was this unbelievable, unbelievable, like hero's journey kind of thing where you just... It was the it was the most amazing adventure, and I was on it for years. And to answer your question, um, I believe that I came off the antidepressants about a maybe less than a year after I quit residency and started this adventure. And then to date, I have I have never been on medication again, like antidepressants, mm. or and I have not had a formal mental health diagnosis. I've had. Other episodes of of trauma, I've experienced abuse, unfortunately, and other things. Mm-hmm. So I've I've been treated for symptoms related to say like a, a, abusive events that I experienced that were traumatic, but I've never had full blown PTSD or or clinical mm-hmm, depression mm-hmm. again or sick or real clinical anxiety. But I can definitely feel, and I talk about this openly, that what happened to my brain in those formative years of my 20s when I was in medical school and also relational trauma that I experienced that I still have the after effects of that and my brain is still vulnerable and mm-hmm. I have to be really careful right. in how I take care of myself. Things like sleep, nutrition. I can't get away with stuff. Alcohol, like, um, yeah, so so it's not like you go through experiences like that and you're, you can ever be the same again, but, but I... I think that the same time, though, no one ever wants to experience these things. And I don't know that God actually wants us to experience these things either. It's part of being in this fallen world. But mm-hmm. the beauty and the power that can come out of these experiences that we can carry to other people it is really something. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I think, I think that's the same for me. I think, you know, for me what my therapist said was it was sort of a circumstantial situational, but I have to be very aware, Dr. Susan, of my limits because mm-hmm. when I get mm-hmm. overwhelmed, I can see kind of these triggers and things that happen and what I do. When I'm, yeah. when my brain is overloaded and I'm doing too much, I can see it. Yes. And so I'm very aware of what that means. You're right. Like sleep, um, eating, uh, saying no to things because I mm-hmm. can't, I can't do everything. So, mm-hmm. Really, really good. In that, let's talk about your book because we've been mentioning it and uh, you've written this book, The Resilient Life. And I think so many of us want this. We want resiliency for ourselves, our kids, the people we love. And so I want to go through these. These You have, you have six parts of your book. Uh, and I want to kind of just do like a high level because I think this will really help as we look at strengthening, you know, uh, our listeners and viewers. Um in the area of resilience and kind of give them maybe some tools that they can take away after this to say, yes, okay, I'm going to choose these things, maybe part two or part five right now and go to three and four. Maybe I'll start, you know, small, but I think it'd be great to kind of walk them through, walk me through as I learn on these things. And then it actually answers the question that I, I said earlier about coming out of the pandemic. You're, you're basically setting us up for, you know, after all of what we've gone through now, how do we take that and then move forward to live a resilient life? So are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited because I want to learn. I really want to learn. I've got my pen and I'm always set to go. I see you. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love anything else. Okay. So <laughs> the first part is this, the miracle of resilience. Mm-hmm. Resilience is a science and a way of life. So maybe it's, it's, you could define it for us, what that would, that would look like and the science and that it is a way of life. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So... First of all, resilience, as I'm sure most people know, or maybe they don't, it's actually a physics term where it's the ability of of a material to regain its shape once stressed or changed. Okay. So that's actually where that word comes from in terms of origin. 
However, it's when I talk about it, when I write about it, or when I think about it, it's not in the sense of we can we can just bounce back to to what we were. And the image on the book is one of a ball bouncing and bouncing forward. Hmm. So so really it's about how you move forward and not not necessarily eliminating and erasing the things that have happened to you and might be weighing you down, but rather a way of integrating and a way of living. Like, like how do we take care of ourselves? How do we order our lives? How do we think about mm. the things that have happened that we're bringing along? What are the things that we can do that make us far more likely to be in good mental health and good physical health and be able to, to fulfill our calling um, in spite of what has happened to us, right? Mm, like I, I tell a story in the introduction about uh, my husband having this catastrophic accident skiing. He broke four vertebrae in his spine. He should have died. He should have died. Um, because he, he broke two cervical vertebrae at the very top and that it was unstable and he even sat up after the accident. It's like, how on earth did this happen to him? And he has no, he has no neurological damage. Like wow. it's just, it's, it's quite quite miraculous um, but we didn't we didn't know how it was going to turn out at the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so wow. so I talk about like it's not like I follow these resilience keys which I talk about in the book how how specific evidence-based things that we know about resilience have factored into our ability to navigate that and it's not to say at all that we navigated it perfectly it was actually very very hard on our marriage and there's still fallout from it but mm-hmm. Because of these fundamental principles of resilience, it was so much better of an experience overall and did far less long-term damage to things like health and mental health, finances, everything, because of those principles. So it's not so much that these resilience principles are going to protect us from everything and help us to come back perfectly, but they will make us so much stronger than we would otherwise be if we weren't following them. Mm. So if I'm making sense, yep. I say that. Um, and also the miracle, the miracle of resilience, you know, being a medical doctor. So I bring that perspective and take courses at Harvard Medical School with uh, leading experts in this field. I try to take a course every year if I can. And what we're learning about about our bodies like in the last few years, in the last decade or so, is unbelievable in terms of our body's resilience. Like our body's ability to actually even age backwards and undo DNA level damage wow. uh, through things like contemplation and prayer, et cetera. Like, uh, and even just changing the way we eat, or or even starting to exercise when we're in our sixties. Like the capacity mm-hmm. of the body to heal and be more capable than we ever imagined. I see that as part of the resilience picture and, and foundational sort of creational evidence for just what is possible when we follow principles of that of that design. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay, so you set us up. I love this because <laughs> I know we're going to go drill down a little bit more. So part two you have, you have which is everybody's like, yes, please. How to manage your stress and avoid burnout. So just top yeah. level, reducing your vulnerability to burnout. So what does that mean? Like, so are we predispositioned to burnout? Are we, what what makes us vulnerable to it? Because I know there's a lot of people that are like, I you know, the, what people say, it's like, I feel like I'm burning out. I feel like I'm almost going to burn out. I feel like I'm crashing. Like, those are the things I'm hearing. Yeah. So just what are your thoughts about making sure that we don't actually then burn out? What are things that we yeah. can do? Yeah. So this is the main thing that I actually talk about these days is the main thing that organizations bring me in to mm-hmm. talk about and address. And so in terms of reducing your vulnerability to burnout, it's not just a personal thing because we know that organizational factors, uh, team-related factors, uh, specific work-related factors are actually the primary drivers of burnout. Okay. And Burnout, by definition, is caused by chronic work-related stress. So a lot of people use the word burnout, but I would say most people probably don't actually really understand what that word means clinically. So so fundamentally, it's it's chronic work-related stress that sets up burnout. There are multiple factors. There's high-level organizational, there's team dynamics, work-related stuff, and then there are individual factors for sure. And I would say that as a society, 
there are a bunch of factors that are making us much more vulnerable to burnout over the last few years, including right now. And so mm. a big part of that is even just how depleted we all are yes. from what we have been through. So we all have lower reserves. We're, we're much more cognitively and emotionally exhausted. So we are, are more vulnerable because of what we have collectively been through. But then you also add in things like we know that workloads substantially increased over the pandemic. Uh, we also know that there has been the phenomenon of the great resignation, that a yes. lot of sectors, people are working understaffed. And so people are working longer hours, carrying more responsibility. Um, workplaces are more stressed. So those factors are a huge driver. But then also for ourselves, and I feel like it's another layer of the way that the pandemic is forcing us to to reorganize and change the way we see and do things because the old way of doing things won't work under the current circumstances. Mm. And so what I work on a lot with people is, for example, boundaries and and even changing the way that they see themselves. There are so many people out there and, and women in particular who we see ourselves as being those yes people that were always there for everybody else. We have mm -hmm. a way of doing things and showing up in the world that is simply not sustainable anymore. And that, right. and, it, and it shouldn't be actually, because it's actually a sign of a, of a healthy person who is able to put healthy boundaries and live and work in a way that's sustainable because God created us with limits. Mm -hmm. And and the way that many of us habitually live without putting in healthy limits, that's just not going to work anymore because we're all too depleted. So a lot right. of the conversation is about identifying priorities, identifying values. And this is for people and organizations, right? To really get clear about what is most important and what what are the things that need to be in place to make to make our lives and our work sustainable. Yeah. And I think that ties into you know, how to stop feeling stressed and overwhelmed. I think yes. what you just said about boundaries. Like, I think you kind of like, you know, answer those two, that the boundaries is, is key. And I think just, I think the honest conversation that even, you know, when I'm sharing with friends and family and work, you know, colleagues about that we are depleted, like the honesty and transparency of how we're actually truly feeling this so is. that we can all, you know, we can kind of talk through it. We can help one another, you know, especially Dr. Susan, as I lead a team, it's like, what do you need? Do you need to yes. take a break? Do you need to yes. work at different hours? Yes. So that helps me as they're honest with me, like Melinda, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not feeling, okay, great. So maybe just take a beat, come back, work a few hours tonight, work whatever works. I'm very yeah. flexible. And I think that's the change too for organizations and leaders about just being able to be way more flexible, but still though, leading to ensure that we hit our ROIs and measurables and that we yes. are successful, right? Exactly. But the rhythm has changed. The cadence yes. and the dance has changed in the way yep. that we've, we, you know, we're leading. So I think that's really important. And I can see how that can help to manage our stress and avoid burnout in those conversations, boundaries, honesty. And I know in your book, there's a lot more on some of the specifics. So that's good. Check. <laughs> I'm just doing checks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Boop. Um, part three, I love this. <laughs> Fortify your mental health and wellness. So in this part, understand your depression and enjoy more good days, calm anxiety, face your fears and take back your life, and what to do when a crisis inevitably hits. So this fortifying your mental health and wellness, sort of like top one, two points. Dr. Susan, what would you say are things just to make a note that might be the two things that you really should do in that area? Yeah, I would say for depression and anxiety and, and your ability to navigate a crisis, what it really comes down to is is knowing how to take care of our brains. Sure. And so, and this isn't necessarily how I will have said it in the book because I have a lot more space to say things, obviously, in the book. Um, but even understanding, like uh, understanding how the brain works with anxiety, like sure. it's often counterintuitive. Like, our tendency when we're feeling anxious is to move away from what we're anxious or what scares us or intimidates us. But actually, that's the worst thing you can do for an anxious brain because it strengthens the anxiety response and the brain's belief that something oh. is dangerous. So we actually know that moving toward anxiety and in specific ways, uh, in gentle ways that don't overwhelm you, but things like that, like understanding what does an anxious brain actually need? And it actually isn't just safety and avoidance. You want to you want to actually rewire it towards courage. 
And mm. so that understanding of the brain spreads even to, you know, what like people are really, really good for our mental health. And, and the, the depressed or anxious person, our tendency is going to be to withdraw. That also happens in burnout. Whereas mm-hmm. what our brains actually need and our hearts and spirits when we're in those really tough times is we actually need to, even though we don't feel like it, spend time with those healthy, loving people in our lives because that will help our brains to heal. And so that extends to sleep, nutrition, exercise. Very mm-hmm. often the things that our brains and bodies most need that will help to heal our mental health are the things we least feel like doing. So wow. that's an important thing to understand. That's really good. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, you know, everybody's, <laughs> like, everybody's taking a pause going, wait yeah, a second. Yeah, but small <laughs> steps. And it's so right, empowering right, right. to know that because it's like, you know, that walk will make you feel better. I had that yesterday. I was having a crappy moment yesterday and I was like, oh, and I was, and I just knew that a walk would make me feel better, but it was the last thing I wanted to do. But because I have yes. all this knowledge, I'm like, I just got to go. And sure enough, it turned everything around. But, and having right. that understanding that helps us to mm. move through those blocks, to experience the relief and the forward momentum and healing. that, And, and, and having head knowledge of that. So in those moments where we're tempted to just kind of give up on something or just be pulled into the current that we're like, no, I actually know what would be best for me right now. And I'm going to do it, even if it's just a little thing. That's good. And it's empowering, right? So you're not being swayed and rocked by everybody else or circumstances. You're actually taking ownership in in making that decision. I feel that is, you know, I really feel that like over the shows that we've done, Dr. Susan, and as we've talked about a lot of different hard topics, over and over at the end of every show, there's always this consensus and understanding that we can give you all the tools. And if you are someone who follows Jesus and, and, you know, is like, and I've got a God and Holy Spirit with me. At the end of the day, though, you have to choose. Like, we can give you everything. But at the end of the day, you've got to say, yeah. I'm going to take that walk. I'm going to stop. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make hard decisions. I'm going to, you know what I mean? So there's always yeah. a sense of like, you have to, you can't just sit there and think things are going to change for you when you do nothing. You've, you've right. got to do some hard work in making some of these decisions. And and yeah. I love what you said here a lot about, you know, yourself making these decisions, but you do need your people, which is really in part four, strengthen your life through healthy relationships. You talk about reclaiming community in an isolating world and practice healthy boundaries at work and in life. And so, so much focus on these healthy relationships that you need in your life. Yeah. What if you don't have them? Do you know, Dr. Susan, so many women write me and say, I don't know where to find a good community or good friendships. It it over and over women write me all the time saying, how do I find good, trusted relationships and friendships in my life? I don't have them. So interesting mm-hmm. that people are telling you that. I mm-hmm. I think some of that is our world today being more isolated, right? It's more virtual mm-hmm. than it used to be. And I know also people are really busy. So I think, which is as a coach, because I am a, I am an executive coach as well. When I hear that, I would always want to just talk to the individual because I feel like I don't know that there's a there's a pat answer mm-hmm. for that because I feel even sensitive to the fact that working moms, right? Like if I were to say something like, "Well, you know, think about what it is that you're really interested in and go do those things," and you'll meet people who are doing it, but maybe they don't have time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really individual thing, but I do think. What just came to mind is that I know some of this reorganizing for a lot of us has also been even examining the health and truth of some of our relationships. Huh. Yes. Right? Because I think a lot of us may have relationship bandwidth taken up by people who maybe they're actually not the healthiest for us. And and we maybe, if we Mm -hmm. start... Because I, I found that for me, like, because I have made decisions over the last, m- more so, I have been really in a period of a lot of growth and shaking of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I'm getting much clearer about the things that I will and will not tolerate. And that's actually honoring of the other person as well. Because if we allow t- people to treat us badly, that doesn't help them either. Right. So... So I find that as I'm getting clearer about about what for me a healthy relationship looks like, my my circle is getting smaller, but there's also more room 
for wonderful people to come in. Like I've made mm-hmm. some beautiful friendships in the last couple of years with amazing women that I've come across through different different things. One one I met online that I'm thinking of that I now meet with virtually, and another one, you know, was from a church that I was attending um, in a place that we were living during COVID. And these are these are women who will be lifelong friends. I just you know those kinds of people. Yeah. Right? And so I think as I got more clearer and put better boundaries around my life and was in that case even willing sometimes to be lonelier than I was previously in other seasons perhaps that 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 clarity about healthy relationships and also like, even what I wanted to do with my life yeah would yeah, really come good. along them yeah I I found that too I, I have a I have a wide community of of girlfriends I yes. <laughs> have always I've always been very intentional about connecting with women it's my love I have a husband that is very open and grateful for that because he is more of an introvert and he <laughs> allows for that, but also knows how important, you know, relationships are to me. Um, and so, but as I've gotten older, I've noticed more and more, it seems to be more obvious some of these, some relationships need to go, you know, like some of them, I'm like, they're draining me. It, it's, I, I, you know, absolutely there for, for friends who need me, but there are where I'm like, I come out of conversations or time with them. And I'm like, that was not life giving. Like that was that, that just took everything out of me and my energy and emotion. And so, yeah. And that's hard because there's a part part of people pleasing in me and wanting to be liked by people. There's a, there's a part of me in that. And so I got to kind of work on work through that a bit, but it has been freeing and important to have those boundaries around relationships and, and knowing that that's good. It's okay. It's needed in, in, in your life. So that's that's really good. Uh, your part five talks about build a foundation of physical resilience, which is sleeping better, making food work for you, not against you, and using movement to boost your body, mood, and brains. So you've got sleep, food, and basically exercise, which is what yeah. we always hear, and a lot of us I don't know. do it. We don't do it. We're like, yeah, and I'm like this, yeah, yeah, okay, and then everyone's like, but we actually don't do it. We don't intentionally do this and sleep better and look at foods and move. But that's very key in what you're saying in in living a resilient life. Yes. And it's frustrating to me that the that kind of information seems so obvious. Because as a physician, and also a coach, it's like, people, people, and I mean, I'm being very general here. It's like, people think they know, but they don't actually, they don't actually understand the dynamics of all of that. Because if they did, they would be making different choices because right. they would have a deeper understanding. And so, so the standard advice typically doesn't work. And I know there are lots of people out there who are, who are hackers and who do understand this on a very high level. So that's not who I'm talking to, but mm-hmm. Like I have a degree in dietetics, so I have been passionate about nutrition and preventive medicine since before I even got to medical school, since I was a teenager. And and for example, if I want to get people's attention and shift their behavior around food, one of the things that I talk about, and I talk about this in the book, is there's research that showed that it, with people 50 and older, and this, but this applies to people younger as well, it's just the study mm-hmm. group that they did, they... They took them from eating a very typical North American kind of diet, and they had them eat a very specific list of kinds of foods. And it's not that restrictive. It was just, these are the foods that are good for your brain. So this is what we're going to focus on. It's kind of like a Mediterranean kind of eating. Yeah. And they found that in a very short period of time, I think it was like two or four months or something like that, um, the the brains of those people when tested were functioning like the brains of people nine years younger. Nine wow. years. Nine years you younger. Mean- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was that so- more like... Green salads, lentils. Like, what does that mean? I, mean, I think Mediterranean meats, rice. I, I'm just trying to figure out what yes, does that yes, mean. Yes, yes, sure. So let me explain that as a dietitian, yeah. like what what Mediterranean diet looks like. And so, um, it's actually eating more of certain foods and and less of others. And so, so yeah, leafy greens are a huge one. Mm-hmm. But when I'm teaching about it, I emphasize though. Because most people have this idea that now it starts feeling like some kind of Spartan diet where they're eating salads. <laughs> Even the way you said that, I, I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I mean. Because um, right. when I explain to people, like the way that I do this, a big part of it is my smoothie that I have every morning. I have pre-washed mm-hmm. spinach. I have frozen blueberries. I have protein powder. Yep. I'll have like an apple or something that I threw in. I am not a, I am not a very good cook. I am a very busy person. I am supremely mm-hmm. lazy. 
And yep. so like the way I get a lot of this in is my smoothie every day. That's the main way I get most of a lot of it. Yeah. And then also fish is a big one. So I have a lot of tuna sandwiches, you know. Love like, fish. Yeah. Yeah. So and things like nuts and olive oil and berries. Berries in general, very specifically, are really good. A lot of it has to do with uh, it's not like keto per se, but but having less refined carbohydrates, less red meat, uh, less dairy, less sugar, less processed foods, and mm-hmm. making more of of certain choices. And the, even the it's a brain health food guide actually. That if people want to look, they can look that up. Look up it. It's Canadian, the brain health food guide. If you Google that, you should find it. And that's that's where they talk about some of those studies. And they have the list of the foods and. It's really not, it's actually a really good guide even for like planning your shopping for the week, like for mm-hmm. food planning. And it's it's really quite easy. And the, the impacts on your brain are spectacular on mood and focus and concentration, even sleep. And most people don't think about food that way. They think about it more like, oh, I really should be eating this because it's better for me. And they don't actually realize like the spectacular impact of very simple choices. Yeah, no, that's good. I actually wrote this down because I know these things. But again, like I told you, which I need to tell myself, it's about doing it. I used to do smoothies a lot. And then I kind of stopped because I started getting lazy about putting it all together. But now you've just inspired me. Yeah. Then I need to go back to those because I actually felt different. Like it's interesting uh-huh. that I'm yeah. thinking back. I'm like, oh, I felt stronger. And yeah, so that's yeah. good. And then just quick sleep. How much sleep yes. do you really need? To Seven have? to nine hours. Okay. I, yeah, most people I know, there's no way you're going to get nine. Like most people, especially <laughs> midlife women, like I'm sorry, I'm not right, saying that. Right. I'm, yeah, so don't, <laughs> but seven yeah, to nine is seven the official nine number. I would say seven to eight for most people. And then if you're okay. under six, you're clinically impaired, like you've had alcohol. No. Yep. Been shown. What? <laughs> yeah, we don't realize. And I'm someone okay, who struggles I'm... with sleep. So I'm not saying this up from some like perfect sleep castle. Right. So. <laughs> And see, I'm a good sleeper, so it drives my husband crazy because I'll be like, I'm going to sleep. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, good night. And I'm yeah. out. I don't yeah. know. It's just more my thing. So, okay, 78. Okay. Part six, uh, last one, and I have another question. The live with meaning and purpose, the art of crafting a meaningful life. And we say this a lot. Like everybody's like, I want to have a meaningful life. I want to have a life of purpose. Yeah. But the art of crafting, like what happens if you're just like, I have no idea. I've just got to pay the bills. Yeah. I, what does that mean and what does that look like, Dr. Susan? Yeah, I actually, in writing that chapter, I wanted to push back against the idea that I see so much that we all have to find this and huge sh- world-changing purpose. Like, right. great, because some people are legitimately called to that, but that's not, it's very discouraging for a lot of people, especially yes. like working moms. Yes. And so I talk about the many paths to purpose. There are there are so many paths to it, and it's a very individual thing, and it can depend on the season that you're in. But it can be as simple as as feeling like your purpose is to love people in a certain way or be generous or like it it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Anything that that brings light to the world, brings love to the world, and at the same time is life-giving to you, right? That's good. And it can, yeah. be, it, it can be small daily things that you do. It can even just be the way that you move through your crazy, busy daily life. Like, how are you going to treat people, right? Like being someone mm-hmm. who leaves every every space you're in, you leave it better than when you came, even if it's just because you smiled or you had a compassionate word for someone or you didn't yell at someone who deserved to be yelled at. Like right. just how you move through your life can be so purposeful and intentional. And it's not about being perfect either, but there's there's so many ways I love that. To, to connect with purpose. Thank you for taking that down because, you know, I've had a you know, a number of girls weekends and my girlfriends are high level achievers <laughs> and and there's one who, you know, struggles because she um, isn't that. And I remember she said to us one time that she's like, you guys have all of this big purpose in life and you're making a difference. And I'm just mm-hmm. a mom with a, you know, disabled kid that I have to take care of. And what's my purpose? And 
because the church and culture has said, you've got this great God-given purpose to change the world and do it. Uh, yeah, no, We've no. always been taught, you know, and so it was really difficult, Dr. Susan, because yeah. that's how she felt. Yeah. You know, that's A how lot of she people felt do. because it's like, I'm not doing something great. I'm not on stage. I'm not, I'm not invited to be on podcast. I'm not doing television. I'm not an author. I'm not like yeah. all the knots. Yeah. So then it diminishes, you know, their value or who they think they are or whatnot. So I, I'm grateful that you said that because yeah. where you are is where you are. And what can you do in that space to make well, a totally. difference, to be and, kind, to be loving, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's actually something that I have found really frustrating. And it's ironic because, of course, here I am on the platform, mm-hmm. on the stage doing the big calling thing. But I did see a shift a few years ago, I think with the emergence of blogging and Instagram, and now anybody can be an influencer and have impact. And it sort of defaulted to like, this is what you do to have influence. You start some business or something. And I I think the way that God is now, forgive me, God, if I'm wrong about this, but he's, (laughs) he's not, I mean, you look at Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey. Right, like Jesus was not at all about what looked like power in the in our exactly. world. That yeah. so, I think that God's idea of what actually purpose is, you know, and and what matters to Him, and who to Him is living a purposeful life that probably looks quite different from our idea of mm-hmm. of what that looks like. Right, and so. I, and I have to take a moment on that because I think about that too. So here I am, stage television very front person front facing and i have to check my motivation so yes i believe absolutely 100 percent. this is where i am to be and i believe all the factors have led me mm-hmm. but i have to really be careful that it, d- it doesn't become the idol or the thing and the motivation for what i do because you're right it can be so easy where i could be doing this and thinking it's for god and yet it's completely the opposite on what and how I'm to be. It's, it's in, you know, it's a whole other show. But there's oh, yeah. a lot of that thinking about in my own life. Like, especially for someone who is high extrovert, out there, you know, out in the public. Man, there's a lot uh, of things I think about in, in relation to my own faith. And and on that note, you know, how, how would you say, Dr. Susan, faith plays in resiliency in life? For those that follow Jesus, for those that are listening that aren't or are on the journey... Yeah, but what are your thoughts? Because I, you know, I I am someone who's chosen to follow Jesus. Um, I'm a follower of Him, and so I can see that for my own life. But what would you say how faith can work into a resilient life? Yeah, I would say that it's a it is a really important piece. Um, my my work I've always been out. I'm out in the in the general public. I'm not really in the like Christian culture space. That's right. Not, that's not my audience. That's not who I'm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people from that space, obviously, who I connect with and who I sometimes speak yeah. to, but that's not my world for the work that I do. And so, so I'm, I was careful when I was writing the book because it, it was, it's not for a primarily Christian audience. It's for, it's for anybody. Right. It's great. And so, but I did, because my faith is an important part of my life and my story. So I did, I did have references there throughout and there, what, there is one point towards the end of the book where I do mention it, I say that, you know, I haven't, I haven't, like, I've tried to minimize talking about it because I wanted to respect the beliefs of mm-hmm. whoever's reading the book. I didn't want them to read and go, oh, good grief and just throw it away. Like, I want them to, yeah, yeah. To, I want them to consider what I'm sharing. But I said that I, I couldn't actually honestly talk about whole person resilience without saying that for me, mm-hmm. my faith and the, and the support and the help that I feel that I get from God and and also the really beautiful people that I have in my life that who are who are Christian who share that faith who walk with me and really support me that I my resilience would not be what it is and my life would not be what it is with the results that I have without having that as my my underpinning like that is the yeah. like prayer for example if I if things mm-hmm. are really 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 hard, that's like the first place that I will go, and mm-hmm. so it's a big part of my response to any crisis. And uh, so I'd be I felt like I would not be being honest with people if I just gave them the book and I didn't include faith as one of the pieces. Yeah, 
It's good. Wow. A lot. This was great. I mean, there's so much. I'm like taking notes. I know. I'm like, oh, I could literally have done like a series with you. I know. Honestly. <laughs> Dr. Susan Bialy Haas, thank you so much for joining me today. There's so much. Your book, everybody needs to pick up the resilient life. Where can they get it? Where can, what's the best and easiest well, way to pick up your book? It's basically available everywhere that, I mean, Amazon is probably the easiest. It's also in Canada, Chapters Indico. I know for sure you can get, order it online. It's in Barnes and Noble. It's in Books a Million and they, all the, oh, yeah. it's American <laughs> publishers. So lots of the American roots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so pretty much everywhere. Thank you. And I really know for me, as I'm looking at this like strengthening, summer of strength, so many practical tools to help me and I know for our viewers and listeners in being motivated to live and to choose this resilient life. And so thank you for your help and your inspiration and your encouragement and this incredibly enlightening conversation today. So appreciate you, the work that you're doing and cheering you on, Dr. Susan, all that you do. So thank you so much for your work and for Finally, us sitting together and 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 chatting on these this really important topic of living a resilient life. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Melinda. It's about time. Yes. <laughs> and thank you to our See Here Love community for joining us today, Dr. Susan and myself. I hope you were strengthened and inspired today to choose to live a resilient, purposeful, meaningful life and that you feel more equipped than before. And as you navigate through this life, know that you are not alone. You're in this together and that you are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to See, Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks. Stay connected with our daily posts and stories on Instagram or Facebook at See, Here Love. Or join our newsletter at www.seeherelove.com.